This is Raspberry Lemonade, the Arnold Palmer of podcasts, a refreshing dive into the stories of industry professionals, both sweet and sour. And now your host, Mr. Levi. Welcome back to Raspberry Lemonade. We have a very, I dare say legendary guest today. I I know this guy's going to do some amazing things. He's already doing some amazing things. Go ahead and introduce yourself, man. Well, I'm Gavin. I'm a 19-year-old director. Um, I'm making my first feature-length movie, well, first movie in general. Um, It's called Spider-Man Lotus. It's coming to YouTube on August 10th. Yeah. Yeah, just, just, you know, just casually say, yeah, I'm making a Spider-Man film. (laughs) You know, it's whatever. Dude. I've talked to so many people who are, they're, well, they're torn. Let's be honest. You know, they're a little torn. Some, some, some are super excited still. Some are kind of, you know, uh, commenting some negative stuff about it. And we'll, we'll get into that. But overall, as of today, how do you feel about the film itself? I feel just a, honestly an overwhelming sense of pride in the cast and crew because, I mean, this has been three and a half years in the making. And we've had crew members come and go. We've had we've gone through so many different drafts of the script and then filming the movie. And it's just been such a long, difficult journey. Um, but it's all been worth it in the end. You know, I think I feel I feel proud of, of everybody and also just of the movie itself. Um, it's turned out to be everything I wanted it to be. And I'm so proud. I keep saying proud, but I really am. You know, it's 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 such a it, it's so it's so uh it, it's fulfilled my my dream um and i can't wait for everybody to see it and i never i never anticipated that it would become what it is today and i'm just very grateful that i had the opportunity to do this because um, not a lot of people get the chance to do something like this so being able to do this i mean i have to keep reminding myself of how rare this is and how how fortunate i am to to have been given the, the opportunity to to do this you know it's just been crazy absolutely man yeah i I could only imagine yeah that's i I can't even say i can relate there's no way i can relate to what you've you know the the whole process you've been at this for is it three four years technically from moment of of about three and a half right yeah so probably about my own about my junior year of high school wow there you go how old are you now if you don't mind me asking 19 you're 19 oh my gosh Bro, you're yeah. still a kid. Yeah, I, I <laughs> you're, am. I'm, I'm almost a decade old, older than you. That's oh, insane. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, we. I shot the movie when I was 17, so that's, I was I was the only minor insane. on set. It, it was kind of a interesting dynamic because, again, I was the only minor. Everybody else was way older than me, but I was also in charge of the project. So it was kind of a weird dynamic on set because, <laughs> like, you know, people were like, "We have to." It was, just, it was just weird yeah. because I was in charge, but also just the youngest and least experience. Um, but that was interesting. <laughs> I bet, I bet. Do you have siblings? Yeah, I have. I have one younger brother, and he he actually plays young Spider-Man in the movie. Oh. So they're flashbacks, and he wore the costume and did the stunts and everything like that. That's pretty dope. And I ask only because I'm trying to understand like the whole dynamic, like you were saying, you know, from. Uh, spearheading this this project and being in charge of that directing it and everyone else being older than you i'm sure it's different from like you being the older sibling and you know having a younger brother and kind of having that dynamic so it's like yeah. it's almost like the roles were reversed right yeah and like you know i tried to make sure there wasn't a massive power dynamic on set i think there does need to be some sort of hierarchy but i wanted to make sure like my big goal was making sure the entire crew felt included and felt of equal importance. And like, I wasn't the greatest at doing that. There were times where it was like difficult to manage, but I think throughout the process of the movie, I got a little bit better at, you know, including everybody and making sure there was no, no power dynamic and making sure everybody was equally respected and every idea was taken into account. Cause I, I've learned, you know, some people, even if they're just a PA, they could have a phenomenal idea that could be better than your idea. And um, you have to swallow your pride and listen to what they have to say because a lot of the time it'll end up better. You know, you, you can't just stick with your 
you have your vision, but it should be flexible to include other perspectives because it'll lead to a better product. And I learned that throughout the movie, like the stunt double, he'd have an idea. You know, I'd tell him something, but that's, that's not a very good idea. I don't think that's going to work. I'm like, okay, what's your idea? He'll let me know. And then we'll rework it. And it ends up way better. Um, so you, you have to, you have to really, really bring a sense of humility to it because that way everybody feels respected. Everybody feels there's a good energy on set. And I think everybody can, Everybody can ref- who worked on set can w- reflect on the movie and say, you know, it was a good time. All of us were were very very passionate, and there weren't a lot of problems. You know, if there were, it was handled very quickly by everybody, and everybody was very mature about it. Um, but I'm I'm very satisfied with with how everything went, and I think everybody else can kind of relate to that. All right. See now, I'm sorry, I'm just still stuck on the fact that you're 19, bro. <laughs> like, I'm people are yeah. treating you like you're this experience like mature i mean you are mature for your age i think especially because you. you've all you've done but i'm thinking i mean how do i put this delicately you don't expect the same thing from a 19 year old than you do say a 30 year old or a 40 year old right. you know what i mean right. so i almost think and we're gonna get a little bit into the elephant in the room in a second yeah i almost feel like it was almost unfair too you know, it's the everything that that you've been through on a personal note at such a young age, like of course, and you've mentioned offer too that you take you do take accountability and you realize where you messed up. But I personally think, and I'm gonna put this out there. Hope I don't get canceled. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was a bit too too harsh, honestly. But that's my personal opinion. I think, um, I mean, it was it was difficult. You know, it goes without saying nobody's prepared to to receive be on the receiving end of um thousands of people judging your character off of you know fragments of your life right. you know because so I th- let's let's get let's let's you know right. talk about the elephant in the room here for those that don't know what happened what was the whole you know controversy yeah. the, the the what do we call it yeah, I guess we could just call it that. The whole controversy around this film. Yeah. So um I remember it very vividly. Um messages from the actor who plays Spider-Man from about 2017-2018 were posted online of him, you know, using the N-word and stuff like that. Um I mean, actually it was only that that re- was released online and it started to it started to snowball very quickly. You know, the actor made his statement. Um, he was homeschooled his whole life, um, lived in a bubble in Arkansas. And, you know, I've known him personally, and I'm not going to try to speak on his behalf too much, but I, I can I can attest to the fact that, you know, he, he did grow up in a, a bubble, and I think his, his controversy comes from a place of ignorance, and I have watched him into his own and um, develop his own opinions, his own perspectives. Um, and of course, I'm not the guy to hold him accountable, you know, whatever judge that because it's not, it doesn't really involve me. But I have watched him change his perspectives and again, come into his own. And so that happened. And then after all his stuff came out, he released a statement, everything, everybody was releasing their statements. Um, some things came out about me as well. Um, and they were, um, they were also from the same time frame. We, we were involved in the same community. We didn't really interact much until, you know, later on um, when we started making the movies, when we started to interact more. But we were in the same kind of comic book community bubble. That community, there were a lot of, um, a lot of older people in there aren't the greatest, right? So I was kind of involved in that community. And so there were times where to fit in or to be involved with them, you know, I would kind of play into what they were doing, just saying things that were, you know, offensive or stupid for the sake of, like, trying to look good to these people and impress them. And, you know, none of it was... None of, it was, none, of it, none of it was said with legitimacy. You know, they were said because I knew 
it would get a reaction from them, mm-hmm. and I would kind of fit in better. Yeah. Um, and you know, as I grew older, those became very far in my memory. You know, I started to move on, started to distance from that community. Um, 2020, I became very like very politically involved and started to involve myself in social issues a little bit more understand that. So I grew further and further away from all of that. So a lot of those things became buried. I didn't acknowledge them anymore. I just moved forward with my life. And so when those messages were released, they were very shocking because again, I didn't look back, you know, I moved forward and I didn't, didn't look on those or anything like that. So they came out and they were, they were difficult to read. They were difficult to see because it took me a while to realize I did say some of these things. And there, there were, there were nuances to it. You know, there were, there were times where I would throw my password around and some of those people in the community had my account and would say things, stuff like that. But so some of it wasn't even you. Right. And I, I remember, you know, I had an, I had another admin on, I ran a flash account, had an admin on there who would, send messages with my account. I'd have to unsend it real quick. Mm. So, but there, there, there were messages that were me, you know, and I, I take responsibility for that. And even, you know, regardless of which was me or which wasn't, you know, I know I was like that. I like, I know I used to be very like, I used to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, so when those released almost immediately, <clears throat> another account came along with, they were, they were manufacturing screenshots mm. and they were, you can tell they're not me because they're all lowercase. They're not how I type. And they were very clearly designed to look like modern day. So they would, re- they would reference Lotus or they'd reference something that's happening in current day mm. to look like he just said these things. So they were merged with the real screenshots yeah. and they were all muddled together. And so, you know, I'm here thinking, well, if I say these are fake, it's going to look like I'm avoiding accountability. If I, if I take accountability, it's going to insinuate I said these things when I didn't. Yeah. And so I didn't know how to navigate it. You know, I, I, didn't, I wasn't prepared for this. I didn't know what to say. Um, so I, made, I put together a really, like, muddled and not very... Cons- not very... Uh, Maybe concise. Not very concise statement. Mm-hmm. And it was like, well, I said this, but, you know, it wasn't really me. And then I said that. I take responsibility for that. And just all over the place. And I didn't know... I didn't know how to go about it and it didn't, it didn't solve anything. It just got worse. Um, and then a, a VFX artist that I used to, I, I talked about in a video I released called addressing everything. Yeah. Um, go ahead and watch that by the way, if you haven't yet, that, that, that kind of breaks down things down a little bit more. Um, but he, he, he wasn't entirely aggressive. You know, he made sure to be a little bit nuanced in what he was saying at the end of the day me and him didn't work very well together. We, again, like I said in the video, we didn't, we just didn't connect. Yeah. You know, and that, that's what happens sometimes. And so there was a disconnect and he left the project. The problem was that he tried to speak for the entire VFX team. I see. When members from that team came out and said, this isn't true. We felt respected. We felt yeah. we had a good work environment. Yeah. So there were only two VFX artists who, two or three, who didn't feel, they were all kind of in their own group. And they, we just weren't working together. And we, we parted ways. You know, we, I, I had a final phone call with them. And we were, we were very, like, we were cordial to each other. And we had, we had finality and closure. And we went our separate ways. And so I was disappointed when he took advantage of everything to push this forward when we did end on good terms. Mm. Um, so the VFX artists made their own video. They have a segment at the end where they talk about me. They talk about that, and they kind of shut down all the claims. But that was another thing that got muddled, and people were saying I didn't pay my crew. They're saying I mistreated my crew. That everybody was, you know, being screwed over, and just arguments and just rumors started flying around left and right, and it became, it spiraled out of control. And because we're normal people, we don't have producers, we don't have PR agents, we don't have studios. It's only us combating this we had no way to contain it. There was nothing, there was nobody we could go to. You know, we couldn't do anything to contain what was happening. And so I just, I couldn't, 
I couldn't keep responding to this. I couldn't keep fighting this fire that wasn't going to go out. So I said my final word. I got off the internet for two months and I, we started making that video. And we're like, hopefully this will clear things up. In a concise way, but when I released that video, I mean, it, nobody watched it. You know, it, it got completely like ignored. Um, and so, you know, we throughout that time, I was like, okay, it's fine. You know, people, at least see the truth is out there. And I put, I said what I had to say. And then I started working on the movie again, started picking the pieces back up. And over the course of the year, started just put, you know, focusing on the movie itself. You know, the internet, whatever people's reactions are, they can't be a priority for me. I just have to focus on the movie itself, the messages of the movie, themes, and hopefully they would resonate with people when the movie comes out. And then the other day, you know, I came back to Twitter, chaos, people said I didn't take accountability or apologize, and nobody had watched my video, so they just assumed I didn't um, address anything. Um, and so I think no matter what I do, I think there's always going to be people not knowing the full story, which is unfortunate because I, th I think it should be discussed with, with nuance, right? I think people kind of jump to black and to talk about it with black and white, um, not the gray. Right. I'm, I'm okay with the people having a negative opinion on me. I'm, I'm encouraged. Like I, I encourage people having the ability to do that, but you know, I just wish it was talked about with nuance and I wish, I wish the accountability remained where it should have with what was true, not, not with people turning it into a spectacle and an event. Yeah. Um, Allegations, rumors, yeah. all that, yeah. And I try to remind people, you know, we're, we're not Hollywood filmmakers. We are normal people. We made this because we are passionate. We don't have footing in the industry. We don't have any power, really. Um, and I try to just, because people assume I'm up in the, they assume I'm, I'm living the high life when I'm, I'm working at a grocery store. I was going to ask you at, at, at some point in the, you know, the interview, because one of the main questions I ask all the guests is, you know, who are you and what do you do for a living? So what, what does Gavin and please give me the right pronunciation of your last name? Knopp. Knopp. Okay. Yeah. What does Gavin Knopp do for a living yeah. as of today? I mean, I, I work at a grocery store by my house and the only reason why I'm working there is to get money for the movie. So any money I make from from Stater Brothers, um, I just take it and I put it in the movie, and I'm I'm paying for a lot of it out of pocket now, um, which I'm completely okay with, you know, because to me it's like, I mean, this is like me buying a car or me buying a toy, you know, like this is, I love this movie, and every time I like if I pay for new music, it's like that fulfills my day. Yeah, you know, that's all I care about. So I'm okay with paying out of pocket. I don't mind it, um, but that's why I work at the grocery store, and I enjoy the job there. You know, I like I like customer service and. I like being out in the public and being able to keep interacting with people. Um, yeah, I work at a grocery store and like I go to college and I don't have like, you know, I'm not a, I'm not a Hollywood guy. <laughs> and I think people need to know that. Yeah. Uh, we, Maybe that's been the perception. Right. I think there is a perception that I'm, I'm larger than life. I'm, I'm not, I'm just like everybody else. And we, we made a cool movie that people appreciate. And we like, we just made something really cool, but that doesn't take away that. I mean, I think this goes for any, anyone with a platform, like we're all, we're all normal people. Yeah. We're not, we're not set apart from anybody else. Um, you know, yeah, I think people, people tend to think I'm bigger than I really am. I'm really not that not that special. I'm like, I'm just like everybody else. And I try to keep that. I try to let people know that it yeah. doesn't mean I'm, that's not to avoid accountability or anything like that, but it is to remind people of, you know, it's the production is not going to be handled spectacularly or like phenomenally. Like there are going to be problems that we solve yeah. and they were solved maturely. Like everything was, nothing got too, too bad or nothing got, nothing was a huge issue. Which is, which is really good. You know, and I think that's normal for, even in Hollywood productions, you know, there's always some, 
it, when it comes to anything really if you want to get really broad nothing ever goes to plan in anything all right so i assume that's what happened here and touching on kind of what you say you know like you are just a regular human being at the end of the day tell us a little bit about your upbringing and how you feel well let's start there tell us a little bit about your upbringing you where, where, where were you born? Where'd you grow up? That kind of thing. I was born in Rancho Cucamonga, California. Raised there my entire life. Um, I didn't travel or really leave Rancho. I mean, I'd gone to like Salt Lake City and I'd gone to different places in California, but really traveling, I went to Europe in, um, when I was about 16. And I got to see another part of the world for the first time. And it was obviously very eye-opening, able to see other people's lifestyles, see that there's stuff beyond where I am. Um, and that, that, that's where I really started to grow up. When I did, had that trip, got back home, I looked at, I looked at things a little differently because your, 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 your eyes are open to the wider world. Um, but again, I didn't travel much. I didn't leave Rancho. So growing up, um, you know, I grew up with divorced parents and I think a lot of people go through that and that's, that's just, uh, something that me and my brother had to deal with and, that's just part of, part of my upbringing. Um, but Spider-Man was kind of what helped me get through that when I was younger, because I was about five years old. Um, and so Spider-Man was what I turned to for comfort, um, to feel a little bit more safe. Um, I was pretty socially awkward in elementary school. You know, I, I didn't have a lot of friends. Weren't we all, though? <laughs> I, had, uh, I played Spider-Man by myself on the playground, and like I would fight... A, invisible venom on the playground and like, you know, make my own little story. I'd reenact Spider-Man 3 uh, on the playground every day. Um, Even the, the, the dance moves? Yeah. <laughs> hopefully nobody can, yeah, luckily nobody, nobody remembers that. Um, but I would do that. And like the Spider-Man 3 video game, actually, I reenacted more because I played through that game and like every day. Or... I'd, I'd play, you know, do a scene from the game during like lunch. Um, but Again, Spider-Man is where I turned to. And I had friends, but I was pretty disconnected a lot of the time. Um, and so Sp Spider-Man, again, is where I went. Um, and that, that, that occurred through most of my life. You know, I was always turning to fiction for escape. And there were exceptions. You know, middle school, I started to be a little bit more social, a little bit more rebellious, or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, but I, again, I always went to fiction. Always, always, always. So that was my escape. And... When I turned 16, or around the time I was 16, stuff started to get a little bit more difficult with academics and with friendships and trying to get a grip on, I mean, your brain's starting to change a lot at that time. And so you're becoming a lot more socially aware, you're becoming more, um, your opinions are becoming more nuanced on things, and it's not so simple. Um, so I remember when things were getting difficult, I went back to fiction for escape, but it was different this time. I found that the fiction I was paying attention to was actually helping guide me through the problems. Really? How yeah. so? Um, you know, I was reading um, a lot of Spider-Man comics during that time. I, was, I read the comics very, very frequently. Um, Some may say religiously? A little bit religiously. <laughs> uh, but seeing the struggles of Peter Parker and how he, were, how he endures through them and how he comes out the other end a better person, um, being able to, to, to watch my hero struggle and seeing him dragged through the mud um, and find his way to the light by the end, uh, I was finding that they were, they were inspiring me to face my problems instead of run away from them like I'd been doing my whole life. Face them and try to, um, try to work through them. And so I found that, that fiction was actually much more powerful than just an escape. It was actually uh, able to provide a magnifying glass on our problems. So um, instead of taking you away from them, they're actually... They can, they can shine a spotlight on it and help you out a little bit. And I've, I've, I've come to find that I think the purpose of fiction from the beginning or the purpose of storytelling is to illustrate empathy, teach you a lesson, um, put you in the shoes of somebody else and see the world from their eyes. Um, even like, I mean, even storytelling through like cave paintings or their, their cautionary tales of right. what not to do. Um, Real life application, right, right. So you take these stories that are fictional, and they're they're kind of, uh, um, yeah. They're I mean they're just fictional stories, 
and you're taking real life attributes from them and you're applying them to your real your real life. And I, I found that when I looked back, Spider-Man was doing that all along for me. I was I was watching his media and reading his media and they were unintentionally fueling my subconscious with the way I made decisions, with the way I navigated life. Um, but I just became aware of it in my junior year of high school. And so when I learned that lesson, when I when I recontextualized how I viewed storytelling and saw the true power in it and that it can it can help people. You know, it can actually it can it can be substantial to people and, and, and help them through their struggles and so I felt like I found my purpose in a way. I felt like, okay, this is what I'm meant to do. Because I'd always been into storytelling. I always made little movies on my phone and stuff like that and stop motions and iPhone videos. Uh, but this is where I found the, the purpose of it and the, the power of it. And so I, I, I went and I, I turned around and I, I wrote this script, The Kid Who Collects Spider-Man. It's a 15-minute, 15 15-page 15 short film. It sucks. I just read it the other day. It's terrible. Um, but <laughs> Version that's 1 always sucks. Yeah, it's <laughs> honestly the worst thing I've ever read. I hope it never goes public. It's terrible. <laughs> I'm like, I'm trying to go for the emotional beats, but it lasts like one page. It's like rushed through. It's terrible. It's awful. Um, I want to kind of nudge in here kind of touching back on the fact that this whole journey has taken three and a half years to get to where we're at. Looking back to your upbringing, where do you think that determination, that stamina came from? Of being able to, to push through the obstacles and not fall to it. Yeah. Even push, even putting all like the negative stuff aside for a second, Mm -hmm. three and a half years to complete a goal is a, Pretty long time. Yeah. I think, I think um, throughout my life, my parents did have a lot of emphasis on academic success. Um, and so throughout like elementary school, middle school, high school, uh, school was actually very important to me. Um, I mean, there were times where I would push aside or whatever, but I'd always make, it was very important to me that my grades at the end of the day were, they were good and they, they, they could impress my parents. Um so I don't know if that plays into my determination. Maybe that's not the right approach. Um, or have you always had that, you know, if there's something that's very important you, to you or you're very passionate about, like you're going to see it through no matter how long it takes? Yeah, I don't, I'm not sure. I don't know if I could pinpoint where it came from. I just, I know that I've always, you know, when I want something, I go for it. Uh, and I, I don't, I haven't honestly thought about where that might have come from. I thought maybe my dad, my dad is very determined and he's dedicated and he will get things done. You know, he, mm-hmm. he's, um, um, he's good at fixing things. My dad, um, I think I might've gotten that from him because I think a lot of filmmaking is fixing problems. Uh, and so whenever there was an obstacle times where I, I thought I would want to give up or want to, you know, turn the other way. I would think, no, we need to fix it. You know, there's, we've got to find a solution for it. Uh, and so maybe, maybe that's innate to me. Maybe that's from my birth. Um, maybe I've always, always had that. Um, now, have you ever had the opposite, where a lot of people, myself included, I'll speak for myself. I've had these grandiose ideas in the past, and I don't even take the first step because then I think I convince myself like, Oh no, like it'll never work. Or I don't have yeah. the skills or I don't like, it's just like, it's a cr- it's a cool idea, but nah, it's, you know, yeah. probably not going to happen. Yeah. Have you ever had that at all? I think there, there was, um, a lot of times in, in probably middle school where I became really discouraged about doing this. Um, because I, f- I, I had a perception that you had to be a Hollywood insider to do this. So, What changed I, then? I think getting to high school and having access to the equipment that I did, having access to that and, and being motivated by, I was surrounded by people who had equal passion to me in my film class in high school. And that motivated me a lot. And I, f- I started to see like the equipment I had access to, it, it was high quality. You know, we had really, really good cameras. We had good lighting. And I felt like, you know, maybe you don't need to be in Hollywood to do this. You don't need to have a million-dollar budget to tell a good story. 
And as I learned more through high school and I started applying different skills and learning and trial by fire and my, my film teacher, Mr. Cataldo, such an inspiration. And he gave me everything that I have, not everything, but he gave me a lot of what I have. Um, he gave us the freedom to just take his equipment that he's really majority self-funded a lot of, a lot of self-funding. Wow. He, he just gave us the, the, the ability to, to run free and do what we wanted with it. And, um, he, he motivated me. He inspired me. He, he filled me with confidence. Um, and I, I owe a lot to him, but because he gave me the freedom to just spread my, my wings and, you know, do what I wanted, I felt confident in starting this because I thought, okay, if we don't crowdfund a lot of money, we've got this camera, we've got this sound, this lighting, I think we can, we can make something acceptable. You know, it's not going to be... With what you got. Right. It can be taken seriously. And like the costume, I paid, me and the actor paid for out of pocket. We paid for that before the crowdfunding, before the announcement. Because are we, we able to disclose that amount? I'm very curious because that's a that's a dope suit. It is, and they told me not to tell the amount, but okay. it was it was a good amount. You know, we we spent almost the entirety of COVID uh, working up to get that money, and wow. I would save every penny I got. You know, I shaved my head bald for fifty dollars so I could have the money, <laughs> and that was a terrible time in my life. But um, <laughs> yeah, I was bald like Lex Luthor bald to the skin. Oh wow! For a majority of 2020, and it was gross. I hate looking back at that. <laughs> but like we, he was working nine to five. He was working at a restaurant, busting tables. And uh, man, Warden has he has helped so much. I I wouldn't have been able to do it without him. You know, he was so committed to the project. Um, he, again, the the suit he probably he probably paid the greater portion of the suit. Because because he was working more than me, I was doing like um, freelance video jobs, and I was doing I was like doing yard work for people. Uh, but I wasn't. There weren't a lot of places hiring for nine to five, yeah, so. especially during COVID, right? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So I was just doing like freelance work for anybody. So I wasn't able to make as much as him, but I still, you know, we can we both shared the amount to some extent, um, and we got the costume so we could show people that we're we're wanting a professional looking movie. We're wanting something that can be taken seriously and isn't, you know, filmed in a backyard. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but we were wanting to give people the faith that, you know, this could be taken seriously. This could be like a good production quality, right? Good production quality. And so the suit, because we knew it would be such high quality with those costume designers are, I can't believe it's two people and they're doing all this. And, you know, Lorenzo and uh, Alessio, the amazing spider lab LDS 3d. Shout out. They're based out in Italy, right? Yeah. yeah. And they're coming to the premiere too. Oh heck yeah. yeah. So they're they're just the movie I there are a lot of people where the movie wouldn't be what it is without this person or this person, but them they they made the movie like that was the beginning of the production quality and their suit. I mean, it's my favorite Spider Man suit of all time. You know, yeah. I mean of course because it's maybe it's a little biased there. A little bit <laughs> biased because it's what I wanted to see, you know. Like we, right. we all work together on very specific details of the, the logo, the eyes, the texture, the web pattern. So it's like, it's what I wanted to see and they perfectly translated it. So it's, it, it would be my favorite. Um, but they just, they were so incredible. And um, so again, we had the suit, we had the camera, we had like everything we needed um, to make a film. Yeah. That's why it was a short film at first. But when we announced it, you like it, it blew up, you know, I, I had a marketing plan, you know, I was like, okay, we'll see. I'd never marketed something before. I was like, this should work. Theoretically it should work. Um, but I was flying blind. I had a, it was a very detailed plan. You know, it was like, it was well put together, but I had no clue whether it was going to work or not. And it did, you know, we, we ended up getting, the goal was 20,000. And again, I remember the night before we opened the crowdfunding, me and Warden, we were like, what, maybe we should lower it. I don't think we're going to reach that. Like, maybe we could put it's it 10K, much money. 50K, like, you know, but we were like, no, let's just go through with it. Whatever we get, we'll use. You know, if it's a thousand, we'll use that. Like, we will, we're going to make it no matter what. And then we hit 26,000 by the time the crowdfunding closed. And we're Whoa. like, I mean, I remember the final day, I was like, okay, it's closing, it's closing. And we went from 20K to like 26K in like a day because people were like waiting to donate. And then on the last day, it was like, it's sore. Yeah. Um, so then we had like a, um, what was it called? 
in demand where people could donate after the okay. funding closed. So they couldn't get the perks, but they could like, I think they couldn't get the perks or they could only get the perks. They couldn't donate a specific amount. Um, so we just kept that open because we figured, well, now that the, the budgets become, became so big, we can film in New York. We can, you know, we can hire out of state. We can travel. Um, we can get higher quality sound people, um, get higher quality lenses, you know, stuff like that. Um, and the script was being worked on through the funding process. So there were, there was, there was always a big version of the movie where there were things we wanted to do. We, we wouldn't be able to do it with the budget we had. So we had a plan of, well, this is the version of the movie with nothing, but it, it, it works. It's, it's got the emotional core. It's a story. It's good. solid. Yeah. Right. But as the funding was increased, we were able to put things in that we always wanted to. So it's not like we changed the movie for the sake of the funding, but it, yeah. the funding allowed us to change the script to work how we wanted. Now, quick question on that. I know at some point, I won't say the name of the villain in case anyone, like this is the first time they're hearing about this, but one of the main villains, you had originally said that they weren't going to be part of the film. Mm-hmm. Was the budget part of the reason why? Yeah. I remember oh, I see. I remember before we started filming, I, I think we went into principal photography with 30000 I believe. And by that point, um, we had a budget sheet worked out and everything. And I was like, you know what? I think... I had met with a writer who I can't, I can't say the name. I, I signed where I can't say the name of, but they NDA people. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I can't say the name. It's one of my favorite Spider-Man writers. People can put it together. Uh, but I spoke with them and they reviewed the script and they, they had an idea for an element of the script that I hadn't thought about. And so it wasn't particularly that idea, but it took me in a certain direction with the movie to where, you know, me and warden, we were brainstorming and we're on this kind of track and I'm thinking, well, the Green Goblin is he's pretty important to this story. I'll just say the Green Goblin. I mean, he's in the trailer. Spoiler alert. Yeah, no, <laughs> he's in the trailer, yeah, yeah so. he's in the trailer now. <laughs> but I'm like, the Green Goblin, like, he's a he's integral to to this story. I think I think our budget can allow for us to do this now. And I remember saying it to him on the phone, he's like, Gavin, no. And I'm like, come on, like maybe. And I'm like, starting to build it up. He's like, no, oh, I don't, I don't know. And then eventually, like, let's just do it. And he's like, okay, okay, okay. So we settled on it. Um, and we were like, okay, so now that we have this idea, we're going to do action with him. We're going to, we're going to add these pieces that we wanted to include. Let's split production up principal photography for the majority, the bulk of the story, the emotional sequences, the core of it. So the, this is the movie. Let's do additional photography for action, Spider-Man stuff. Like, you know, the, the more difficult aspects, we split production. So principal photography is like the majority. That was like Mary Jane, Harry, the Tim Harrison, uh, you know, the majority. And we filmed all that in two weeks in New York, about a month and a half in Arkansas. Um, the interiors were in Arkansas, some exteriors in Arkansas too, but mostly the exteriors were New York. Um, which it was awesome to be able to be in Spider-Man's home and actually really shoot there. And there's a lot of guerrilla shooting. It was a lot of fun. We'd walk into Times Square and Honestly, people were like moving out of the way for us. You know, that's like, fun. It's like, no, we need you. We need extras. <laughs> yeah, but like we'd be. I remember we were with the the Harry Osborne actor, and we're in Times Square, and we yeah. had the camera, and you know, Tristan's cinematographer. He's like walking backwards, tracking him, and people were like scooting over yeah, for him. That. And like people were, there were times where people would look at the camera, but a lot of the time, like they would actually acknowledge, okay, we're let's look away, like, let's act like we're part of the the scene here. Yeah. And that was really cool to like to see New Yorkers like actually they're participating yeah. in the background, even though we didn't even talk to them or anything. Like they, they didn't even knew. know it was Spider Man, but that's very fitting. I they think. didn't. We had like a code name on the on the board. It was called like Dandelion, so nobody knew it was <laughs> Spider Man related. Somebody actually came down though in Times Square. They were they, they drove from some other state and they came to Times Square to meet us. And they're like, "Oh my gosh! Like you guys are filming." We took a picture with them, uh, which was super super cool. Um, yeah, we filmed in we filmed in all these locations in New York. Like, there's a Harry Osborn sequence where we were literally just like, okay, let's get every like key part of New York and have them walk through it mm. and like get these really cool visuals. Um, that's so that's a sequence in the movie that you know it's Harry Osborn kind of aimlessly wandering through New York um, because he's going through it too. Everybody's going through it in this movie. <laughs> um, cool, <laughs> but yeah, we got to so we got to do that. That was cool, and then we shot in Arkansas and. 
majority of the movie was done, and then I had I needed time to prepare for the action. I'd never I never shot action before. Um, I had an idea of what I wanted to do. Never never done it. So the stunt guy um, Alex, he played Spider Man stunt double. He got a stunt team together. We we helped we coordinated the the choreography, and he did like some previs with with his stunt team and where he lived. I think he lives in Utah. Uh, so they did some, some previs and sent it to me and we approved it and everything. Um, and so we didn't shoot that. We didn't shoot additional photography until early 2022. So 2020, summer 2021 was principal. And then I spent time editing that and also working towards additional, you know, marketing with, we dropped the trailer, got additional funds for additional photography. And then we went into additional and that was very smooth. I took all the lessons I learned from principal, any mistakes I made, any missteps, I took it into additional and it was so smooth. The shoots were quick. You know, everybody was on top of it. It was the most fun I've ever had shooting anything. Um, you know, so we shot the Green Goblin, all the action, Spider-Man's flipping around, and it was so cool. It was like, I felt like a, I was a kid in a candy shop, like seeing all this <laughs> stuff. It was so cool. Um, and that went very, very well. And then after that, like the majority of the movie was done. From there on, we... we uh, you know, we we shot, we did some reshoots, and we did some we did some little pickup shots, but the movie was pretty much done at that point. And like even just recently, I reworked a part of the movie that I wasn't very happy with in regards to Spider Man's origin. Mm. I wanted to take that a different direction. I didn't like where, where where we had it, so I reshot, rewrote, and reshot that entire thing with some some people from Mr. Cataldo, my film my film teacher's wow. his class students from there. You know, they had they they. They're very talented. They're 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 awesome. Um, this this guy named Justin Deanda, he shot it with a, a red Komodo, and his his cinematography is he's a great he's going places, man. He is insane. Um, but working with him was awesome. Like, I'd tell him a complicated shot, and he'd be like, "Oh, okay," and like he'd just get it. Like, <laughs> he'd be so knock it out. Yeah, and like there was no arguments or anything. It was like we just went and we got it, and everybody was like really involved. It was so fun. Um, that was another highlight of filming. Like, I just, nice. I loved that. All right, Gavin, what do you say we get into now the sour story on this podcast that we all like to hear? What would you say has been that sour story for you? Like not so great experience. Um, you know, we already talked about kind of like the obvious at the beginning of, this, of the show, but maybe on a more personal level or what, what What is that story that you want to share? Honestly, I mean, making Lotus was so fun, but there was, I remember my heart dropping more than it ever has before. Um, and it was during, it was after principal photography, in between principal and additional photography. Um, I'm in my room editing the movie. And at this point, I only had one drive storing all the footage in the movie. So I didn't have it backed up yet, really. Um, um, this is the only drive. Don't tell me you had a Toy Story 2 situation you know that oh story gosh, man i almost oh my gosh <laughs> so i'm editing and a friend of mine was oh, a friend of mine was in my room and we're just chilling hanging out and i'm working and they knocked over the drive from the table and the cord like not not on purpose on accident bumped into it shook the table and this is a very like weak table it fell off the desk the cords ripped out of the computer and it slammed onto the floor. And I was, we, we froze and we look at each other and my heart was like, whole, my, I can't describe to you how I felt. And I'm thinking it's over. We're done. It's, it just got destroyed. Cause like the cords, I'm telling you, they yanked out of the computer. Wow. I heard it like, and I'm staring at them and I got the drive and I put it back on the table and I plugged in the computer and I'm, I'm, I'm sweating bullets, dude. I'm like, I just, everything we filmed is gone. And I plug it in. Everything's okay. What? It was all safe. And I can't just, I immediately, I immediately got my stuff, went to Best Buy, bought three new drives and backed it up on all three of them. And I've net, like, I've been so careful since that moment, dude. Like that was actually traumatic. Oh man. <laughs> that was, that's one thing that happened. But there was another sour story I had where, this was actually during filming, and I've talked about this before. Um, we were in Central Park, and so initially we were supposed to film this scene during the daytime. Whether it be a daytime scene, you know, we'd be good. But we had to push it, you know, the makeup was taking a while, the actors were preparing. And so it was like midnight, 
and we went to Central Park. Not a great idea, you know. At midnight. At midnight. <laughs> we're in New York City. <laughs> we go to we go what to Central Park. Yeah, what, what could go wrong, wrong, right? Like stupid. So we were filming, and we were in a tunnel in middle of Central Park, like actually in the middle of it, like middle of nowhere. So we're filming the scene, and these guys walk by, and the girls were at the end of the tunnel, and they started catcalling and like making oh, weird noises wow. and everything. So they're saying weird stuff to the girls, and Tristan's cinematographer. He immediately puts his camera down, like sets it down and like charges over to them. And he's yelling at them. He's like, what do you guys want? Like, Get out of here. Don't talk to them that way. And the actor warden like walked up and they were both like pumping their chests up. And I'm like, guys, like, let's calm down. And, like the, we're, the girls were taken to the end of the tunnel and we're, you know, they're like yelling and starting a problem. And I'm like, we're like, Tristan, Tristan, back off. Back. Like, let's chill. Like, let's just go back. Like, it's fine. So, okay. And the guys walked away. Everything was fine. We made sure the girls were okay. They were they were they were okay, and we asked Tuan if she was okay with continuing filming, and she was okay to, to go. But okay, so we're filming again, and I remember we look over, and there's a huge. Those people are coming back around, and a huge group of people with them, like ten oh, people alongside shoot. them, and we're like, oh shit, damn. We're thinking they got a whole. They got their like group of people to come like attack us, and. At the time, there was another Spider-Man fan film actually filming on, at, at another part of Central Park that we, like, talked to and we were with. Huh. Um, and so they saw these guys walking over, and they came to us. They came to help us. And so we're, like, these two big groups. Um, two kings. Yeah. <laughs> and the, the guys, like, walk over. And I don't think anybody was thinking, but Tristan and some other people, like, walked up to them, and they were, like, pressing them. And they're like, you want to fight? Like, wh what's going to go on? What's going on? And the dude, like, this, the other dude, like, he picked up a chair and he slammed it on the ground. And oh, we're like, holy crap, what's going on? You know, Jacob stayed behind and, like, took the girls to the other end of the tunnel. And we're like, dude, like, this is crazy. Like, it was a big group of people. But then we found out this group of people that was with these people, they weren't even, they weren't even with them. Like, they kept walking. Like, they're just a separate group that oh. happened to be with them. <laughs> and so it was really only, like, three people. And we're like, oh, damn. <laughs> And like the, the the conflicts rising, the tensions going up, and and Jacob came in. He's like, hey, 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 hey. Jacob was like the mediator. He's like, everybody, calm down. Like, let's be cool. You know, like the guy, the dude was like a little bit drunk, so he wasn't oh. acting fully rationally. And everybody, calm down here. You know, let's let's drop it. You know, like let's calm down. So they made amends with each other, and everybody's like pretty pretty shaken up because it, it was it could have gotten. I mean, I'm thinking like, yeah, you're New thinking York. worst case scenario. Yeah, here, dude. Yeah. Like what what are they like? What could happen? And so. Luckily, though, like, you know, everybody made peace. It was cool. But we, we halted filming after that. We're like, okay, we're done. That was too much. Yeah. So we went home and we, we cut the scene short. Um, and then everybody, but, but the, I think the, it, it wasn't, it turned into a, from a sour to maybe a sweet story because everybody after that, like, you really saw how the crew cared for each other. Mm. You know, we were all, like, very close and hugging each other and making sure we were all okay. And, you know, everybody was, that crew was very, 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 um, connected with one another mm -hmm. and we all we all watched out for each other so and also like the other the other fan film like they were helping us out too they, they're called um spidey nyc it's a friend of mine named xavier um like we're really good friends now he's coming to the premiere um but he like they came in clutch like they were helping us out and made sure they were also part of like calming everybody down they're like okay let's keep you know the tension's high let's not do that um but yeah, it turned in it turned into a good story by the end, and like everybody got closer from that, and you know we were more cautious from there forward. You know, don't film in the middle of New York at twelve a.m. Maybe, you know, just think about that eh, next time you do. <laughs> but uh, yeah, right. that, that was um, that was like the biggest hindrance to filming that that happening. But you know, it was taken care of. It luckily didn't get worse than you know what it could have been. You, you could know? laugh about it now. Exactly. Yeah. At the time, I couldn't, but now it's like we can chill. <laughs> yeah, it's good stories, good times. All right, w what about now the opposite side of the coin? What's been a, a very sweet story during this whole process for you that you're like, wow, like just maybe a feeling that hasn't been, that you could compare to since then? Um, There are a couple that I can note. Um. The, I think the the most important one to talk about is when we were in New York, and I'm, I think this was the first time that the cast was all together and we were going to film something. So we had Warden, Sean, 
Tuin and Moriah, so we had the main four. Uh, we were all, there's a scene in the movie where they're all recording very candid videos of each other, like real, real college students. So they're mm. shot on iPhone videos. And I remember telling them, you know, you can improvise this, like record, act like you're all friends in college. Like we were on the Brooklyn bridge. Um, and I gave them the leeway to improvise and just like act, you know, do this, like be the characters, embody them, act casual, make something memorable. So we gave them the iPhone and they all went on the bridge. I watched them from afar. Me and the crew were staying back and they were walking up on the bridge all alone, just the four of them, no direction, yeah. no sound, just them. And we're watching them and they came back and they showed me the video and all four of us were like crowded over it. And I started just like full on crying because I'm like, dude, these are the characters from the comic books that I grew up with. Like they embody them. Like this is what I've been waiting for. And like the video is so magical and it's in the movie and it, it makes me cry every time I watch it. Um, because like you, even in the context of the movie, like Gwen is dead by this point and he's looking back on these memories with her. And they did such a good job of like really, really looking like just normal college students having a good time hanging out in New York. And so I started crying and we're looking up at the actors and they all saw me tearing up and we all went into like a big group hug and we were all crying because we're like, we are doing this movie. Like this is really happening. Um, but that was such a, it was so magical. There were so many moments from the movie that were, that felt truly magical. But that moment in particular was like, we are this is happening. We're really doing this. Um, but that was, I will, I will never forget that. Um, another moment was actually recently, uh, the other day we, I'd been, you know, it's been a tough year and we finally were ready to release the, the announcement video. And you know, that video, I don't know if you watched it, it's me playing with kids, yeah. toys as a kid. And like, that's yeah. personal to me. Um, and you know, I, I knew, I knew it was emotionally, like I got emotional editing it, but when it actually premiered for thousands of people, like there was a lot of viewers on it when it premiered and I watched it live in my car. And as the videos came on, I don't know what happened this time, but every memory from that video was like hitting me. And I vividly remembered being in each moment and filming it. And like when it got to the BTS of the cast and crew, I remembered being there for each and every moment and how I felt in that moment. And it, it hit so particular and it was piling up on itself. And I was so overwhelmed. My whole body was numb. I couldn't feel anything. I was sobbing. You know, I'm hyperventilating. I'm like, oh my God. Like, I'd never cried like that before. But I was like, this has been in the making for so long. And now it's finally here. And I couldn't even, like, my, I couldn't see. My eyes were so watered up. And they're streaming down my face. Wow. And I remember, like, the video ended. And I was full on, like, whimpering. <laughs> oh my God. Um, and I had to, like, get out of my car and walk around and, like, catch my catch my, my breath because it was so overwhelming to watch and to finally put it out there after so long. And I called the producer, Jacob, and I called Warden. And I was like, dude, we, we really did it. Like, we're really here at the end. Um, and it's, it was a bittersweet feeling because we are at the end. But that's, I don't know if I'm ready to let go of this, this movie that has been part of me every day for the past three and a half years. You know, it's been all... Every day I think about it and every day I think what I'm going to do at the end of the day and when I get home from work, what I'm going to edit and what I'm going to work on. And there's a month from now, there's going to be a point where the movie's done and there's no more to do and it's over. And I'm going to have to live my life not thinking about it anymore. What I'm going to do now, it's, it's over. And uh, so there's a whole range of emotions of knowing I had to, I'm ready, to, I have to leave this behind now. I'm ready to leave my, uh, ready to leave my childhood behind. You know, I'm stepping into my 20s now, and this movie was, uh, it's like the closing of the book on um, this first quarter of my life. And uh, that was a very bittersweet feeling. And I'm... Would you say you're a nostalgic person? Very much. I Nostalgia hits me. <laughs> this game called Little Big Planet that I played growing up, um, very nostalgic for me. That built my storytelling because it gives you, gives you the option to make movies on there and everything. And that game, every time I open it and I see what I made on there as a little kid, you know, it, it really hits me every time. I'm like, this is where it all started. Yeah. And I think about where I am now. And I, I think about, hopefully I made that kid proud where I am now. 
hopefully I've achieved what he wanted to achieve. And I feel like I have, but it, it, it brings me a lot of peace to know, like I've done what I set out to do and I'm, I'm, I'm proud of it. Um, and so it's just a whole range. And I know at the premiere, I mean, I don't even, I can't even predict what I'm going to feel. I mean, I'm probably going to cry on stage. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised, but you know, it's, it's very close to my heart and I just, I'm, I'm, I'm excited to share it with everyone. I hope it connects with them the same way that it does with me. And it always will connect with me. And I'm always going to look back on this fondly and I'm never going to forget it. It's really the pinnacle of everything my life has, has built to. Absolutely. And I think this is just the beginning for you. Yeah. You know, the fact that you've acquired what seems like a decade of experience already, you know, <laughs> it's it feels in like. such a short time. Yeah. it's. Uh, I mean, I'm sure it's only going to help you and propel you even further. I hope so. You know, I'm, I'm optimistic in knowing that there's so much to do. I'm only 20. I'm not 20. I'm going to be 20. And there's a lot of life to live, you know, but there's, um, there's a lot to do. I feel like I've, you know, my purpose is not even close to being done fulfilled. Like I've, I've got a lot more. I know for a fact that I've got a lot more to do. And so that's going to motivate me for the rest of my life. I'll be 80 years old in a wheelchair, you know, directing my movies from, you know, maybe from a medical bed. I'm like directing still, <laughs> but I know I'm going to do this the rest of my life. I never want to give up. I never want to quit. This is like, this is what I'm here to do. Yeah. And I, nothing's going to deter me from that. Wonderful, man. Last question of the podcast. Uh, like to end the podcast on a high note, a musical high note. So, if you had to choose your current live soundtrack, what song would that be? So I kind of have two answers to that because I've actually, I've been listening to the Lotus score a lot lately because I love movie scores. Like I'm huge on them. Uh, oh, dude, a, we can geek out off camera later. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there's a, there's a track from that was done by Gladius James. Um, one of the composers called um, run towards living from Lotus. And it's a three minute track. And then this one's a little weird. <laughs> but it's a Rihanna song called Disturbia. I've been listening what? to that over and over again, dude. I don't know what, like, I love that song. I think it's because, like, my mom always played it in the car growing up, and it, like, stuck in my head. Yeah. Dude, I freaking love that. I don't know what it is, but, like, in my car, I'll just have it on loop, like, for, like, an hour drive over and over again. I'm like, let's fucking go. This is sick. <laughs> but that's... I don't know why, but that is currently my life song. Um, a little bit strange, but yeah. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. No, it's a, it's definitely, I could see that being a, like a pump up type of song. Yeah. Definitely a dance party type of song. <laughs> yes. Awesome, man. Okay. So I guess this is it. This is it. End of the journey. End of the journey. Um, where can people follow your journey moving forward? So I'm Gavin Knopp on Instagram and Twitter. And then on YouTube, I'm just Gavin J. Knopp. So you can add the J in there for YouTube. Um, and that's all my social media. So just my name, pretty much. All right. And then Spider-Man Lotus coming out? August 10th, 2023. That's it. So be on the lookout. We'll leave uh, links for as much as we can. We touched on a lot of different things, a lot of different handles and projects and whatnot. But... Thank you so much, Gavin. It's been a pleasure having you on Thank the show. You, Appreciate it. And uh, yeah, this is just the beginning. I, I, I hope that we can also continue. Um, you know, hopefully we can become pretty good friends. I, I, I get some good positive vibes, energy from you. Um, I like to think I'm a pretty, you know, good judge of character. I, I, I see your sincerity. And Thank you. That's the last, that's, that's really what I ask of, of most people. Like, just give me, just, you know, just show who you are. It, it's, it's less exhausting. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> awesome, man. Well, thank you so much, everyone out there that joined us on this special episode of Raspberry Lemonade. Thank you so much for continuing to support the show, uh, to continue supporting the show. All that we ask is that you like, share, comment, subscribe, so we can have more amazing guests such as today. And yeah, just so grateful for this opportunity. So thank you. I'm grateful too. Seriously. Thank you. All right. That's all for today. Have a good one. Make it a great one.
That's a wrap. <laughs> no, thank you, too. This has been a Red Bird Studio Productions. Hope you've enjoyed the program.